man who isn't in denial, who isn't deflecting, who isn't distracted, who is really meeting himself and intimate with himself and aware as a certain level of self-awareness, he's able to say like, boy, I, I hate when you don't have an orgasm. Like, I hate that. Like, I, I, I you know, I feel like I haven't measured up, but mm. I know that's my trip. Mm-hmm. And I, most of all, what's most important to me is not how I feel. It's how you feel about your sexual experience. Welcome to Men This Way, the podcast for every man who seeks to live his deepest purpose in life, who's committed to showing up fully and giving his unique gifts to the world. Because if not you, then who? I'm your host and fellow journeyman, Brian Reeves. Brian with a Y, Reeves. Men This Way. Do you struggle with emotional intimacy in relationships? Do you sometimes struggle to feel connected to yourself? Does sex stop satisfying you not long after the honeymoon hormones wear off? Well, in this episode, my guest Zoe Kors and I mine these questions and more for useful insights to make a meaningful difference in your life. Zoe Kors is a longtime, really close friend of mine, and she's also the author of Radical Intimacy. Cultivate the deeply connected relationships you desire and deserve. Around 10 years ago, when I was deep diving into blogging about relationships and intimacy, Zoe was often right beside me, helping me process what I was learning and writing about. She played an important role in helping push me along in my work as a relationship and intimacy coach, even as she was evolving and growing in her own coaching practice. We became close friends when she was the senior editor and creative director of LA Yoga magazine, and today she's a world-renowned author, coach, and sought-after thought leader of intimacy and sexuality. She's the resident sex and intimacy coach and contributor at the sexual wellness app called Coral, and her work has appeared in The Washington Post, Newsweek, Cosmopolitan, Well Plus Good, Bustle, and many other applications and publications. She's a certified sexologist recognized by the American Board of Sexology and a certified death doula. Her work reflects her extensive study of Tantra, Zen Buddhism, meditation, yoga, breathwork, and other Eastern disciplines, which she integrates with more process-oriented modalities of Western psychology and evidence-based coaching, and blah, 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 blah. The point is, Zoe's a badass, and she is legit a badass, and and one of my longest friends uh, for my adulthood anyway. And in our episode today, we talk about intimacy and sex how to work with that common challenge when one partner, for example, needs to feel emotionally connected to have sex and the other needs to have sex to feel emotionally connected. We talk about what Zoe calls the trifecta of anti-intimacy. We talk about the pressure around orgasm and we talk about so much more. I'm confident you're going to get a lot out of today's episode. But before we dive in, just a quick word about my Elevate 2023 program. I've got just one spot left for 2023 at the time of this recording. And this is a year-long coaching adventure for men ready to elevate their lives in the ways that are most important and meaningful to them. And if you are such a man ready to elevate your life, ready to get uncomfortable this year by bringing on thoughtful challenge from other men, men who will support you to break through whatever blocks and barriers you're experiencing on your journey to becoming the man you were born to be, 
Well, Elevate 2023 is the adventure you've been waiting for. Go to brianreeves.com. It's Brian with a Y, reeves.com slash elevate to learn more and apply now. Again, I just got one spot left at the time of this recording. So I also want to tell you about my Elevate Your Relationship program. If you're specifically needing or wanting support to improve the intimate relationship you're in, now Elevate Your Relationship is a six-month coaching experience for men ready to elevate their experiences in love and intimacy, men who simply want greater fulfillment in their relationships. In this live six-month coaching experience in which you get direct personal coaching support from me, you will learn how to better navigate conflict with your partner, to even use your differences and disagreements to not create chaos or stagnation, which is normally what we create in conflict or in differences and disagreements, but to actually use your differences and to turn them into passionate connection. You'll learn how to create and maintain healthy boundaries. You'll learn how to be your what it means, what it looks like to be your full authentic self in relationship to your partner, how to create emotional connection with your partner, how to practice the art of masculine and feminine intimacy for more passion, and so much more. This program is called Elevate Your Relationship. And if it sounds like that might be a good fit for you and you'd like to be considered for this, go to brianreeves.com slash E-Y-R and fill out the application on that page. brianreeves.com slash E-Y-R. You'll then be invited to schedule a no cost, no pressure, definitely no pressure. I don't do pressure sales, not into it. I don't like it when people do it to me and I don't do it to the people who... Uh, are exploring coaching with me, but we'll invite you to a no cost, no pressure phone consultation ASAP to explore if Elevate Your Relationship is a good fit for you. So again, those two websites are brianreeves.com slash elevate for Elevate 2023 and brianreeves.com slash EYR for Elevate Your Relationship. Uh, One last thing before we dive in, please consider leaving a review on your podcast app. Seeing reviews makes a huge difference in helping people decide whether to listen to a podcast. So you simply doing that would be a huge benefit to the show. And I deeply appreciate it. I also read all the reviews too. So whatever you got to say, I'll see it. Now back to my conversation with Zoe Kors. Take a deep breath and stay present with us all the way through to the end of this episode of Men This Way. All right, let's dive. Miss Zoe Kors, welcome to Men This Way. What an honor and a privilege to have you on. I'm glad you're here. I feel the very same way. Thank you so much for inviting me. We've been friends for a long time now. Yeah. I was thinking about it this morning and I, it's at least 10 years, but I think it's probably more like 11 or 12 I think it's probably more like 11 or 12 as well. I think that's yeah. right. And you know, one thing that I want to say, I just want to acknowledge here on the show too, is, is, um, I was doing an interview this morning on another man's, uh, podcast, uh, I think it's called a tribe of millionaires. And he was asking me, he was, he read my book and was asking me a really great questions. And one of the articles that he asked me about was the six things an evolved man wants from a woman. And I love that he asked me about that article, that chapter in the book. And I love that I'm talking to you because you inspired that, that article. 
Really? You had asked me, you asked me that question. Oh. And, and, and the thing I want to really highlight here is Zoe, you, you, you and I were, our friendship really fueled in many ways, my writing, you know, you the questions you would ask, the conversations that we would have, like you, you played a really beautiful role in my own awakening to the things that I would write about. And our conversations were instrumental mm. in my journey as a writer and, and, you know, to even where I am today. I mean, you, you're, you, you. So thank you. Just want to acknowledge that. <laughs> well, thank you for sure. I mean, I, I could say the same thing. We really, I think early on in our sort of coaching careers and just sort of trying to figure out relationship and the way we get along and mm -hmm. um, we, meaning not just you and me, but we, everybody, um, we had a lot of great conversations. We would do some really good deep dives and and really get curious together. And, and that was really fabulous. Really uh -huh. wonderful. Yeah. A hundred percent because I, so much of what I was waking up to and writing about, and that's, that's in that book, choose her every day or leave her. It was, it came through conversation. I, I wouldn't have been able to really process a lot of that and, and see things if I wasn't in conversation. And I was in conversation with you a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm excited, you know, here we are. Yeah. Probably, I don't know, 10, 12 years later. And you have a new book out that just came out a few yeah. months ago, yes. Rad radical intimacy. Um, you know, I love the subtitle of that. Uh, Cultivate the deeply connected relationships you desire and deserve. And deserve. That's a key addition. Not just that we want, but that we deserve like our birthright. Yeah. It, it's a funny thing. I, I, you know, my mom is 91 now and she lives close to me. My dad, um, he died in 2018. So this, these last several years have been a time for my mother and I to get super close. I mean, we've always been close, but now it's just us two, um, which makes, you know, our time that we spend together really sort of directly intimate. And so it was a really beautiful gift mm. for me to involve her in the process of writing the book. Mm. And, um, and, and she said to me, she said, you know, it's so interesting. I notice that people now are talking a lot about deserving things. Like I deserve this, or you deserve to be mm. free or you deserve. <laughs> and she said in her generation, mm. like that, mm. That wasn't such a concept now. And now it's like, mm. she's like, it's just fascinating that it worked its way into your subtitle. Yeah, it's a that mm. idea of deserving. She said, you know, I read that and I'm like, who are, you know, so entitled. Mm. You know, what are you demanding that you deserve something that you like? That's such a statement of entitlement. Mm. And, and, you know, she's sort of getting hip through me or getting current through me and Certainly proofreading my book was like a, you know, a big opportunity for her to learn all kinds of things. <laughs> That's really fascinating. That's a, a really interesting perspective from your mom. And, and I can really understand. I think what that really points out to me is, is to live that word well deserve. It's like, it's a paradox. It's, it's because yeah, the, the sense of entitlement, I'm going to be an asshole if I run around. And I think this happens a lot. I wonder what, what do you say about this? There's a, there is a sense of entitlement. I guess we might drop jump right into controversial waters here, but uh, <laughs> I know a lot of men, a lot of men are feeling pretty beat up right now in relationship 
conversations in the relationship space. And I think a lot of men are, there's, there's a, there is a movement uh, amongst women that at least a lot of the men that I, that I'm in conversation with talk about sometimes feeling like now women are coming with an entitlement to have all of these things in relationship. And if I don't measure up perfectly, then I'm gaslighting her. You know, all the, all the buzzwords, gaslighting is the word of the year, by the way. I don't know if you knew that. Yeah. And it's so misused. It's so misused. So there, it, that's really interesting. So there's a lot of entitlement. Well, again, it's controversial because what, it, what say you, Zoe? Yeah, I it, it is controversial. And some of this is a little bit of like um, semantics and and like we can get into the, the term gaslighting because I actually use it in uh, something that we might get to today um, mm-hmm. that has to do with like the trifecta of anti-intimacy is what I call it. And it's the Mm -hmm. things that we do that block that kind of connection Mm. that we're really actually craving what we do that gets in the way of that. And I bring up the point that we, one of the things we do is we sort of gaslight ourselves. So we'll talk a little bit about gaslighting, Mm. what that really means. But I do think that, look, I think that we are all, (laughs) there are certain things that we deserve just by being human. We deserve Mm. to, have a relationship with our body that is organic and, and authentic. And, um, there, there are a whole host of things that we deserve. And I, I think that it's an interesting conversation to have about like what those things are really, and what things we, we don't deserve just by being human. Mm -hmm. You know, we certainly Mm -hmm. don't deserve access to our partner's body if they're not wanting to Mm -hmm. give it up. You know, mm-hmm. we mm-hmm. certainly don't deserve, you know, promotions that that we think we deserve, you mm-hmm. know, and sometimes mm-hmm. we think we deserve things or we want things and we set our sights on something or we have a goal and we don't reach that goal. And and it's and we miss an opportunity because we're so stuck in our deserving. Yeah. That we miss the opportunity to say, wow, you know, like maybe maybe there's something about this that I'm not prepared for. Maybe there's a reason I didn't get the promotion or I didn't reach this goal, or maybe I just dodged a bullet and there's no way for me to know. And I just have to trust. Yeah. And I I agree. I think we, we all deserve love. And that doesn't mean that I can demand my partner, give it to me in a certain way. I mean, I can do that, but I don't find that generally to be very helpful. Yeah. We should consult the human rights council or the or Amnesty International or the ACLU and really like sort of get the list together of the things that, that, you know, that are applicable that we deserve as human beings. You know, we could, we could, uh, maybe I'll start that list and pass it to you and we can co-sign the, the <laughs> relational human rights doctrine. <laughs> Ooh, that sounds interesting. That actually sounds interesting. Hmm. Well, you said something that I want to explore uh, you, you shared this with me in our prep to this conversation, and I'm really intrigued by it. The trifecta of anti-intimacy. What are you talking about? What is that? Yeah. Well, you know, I started writing this book and and in the book, I defined three kinds of intimacy and three levels of intimacy. So the three kinds of intimacy, as I see it, are emotional, physical, and what I call energetic. The three levels of intimacy are self, other, and world. Right. So if you grid that out like a bingo card, Hmm. you end up with these nine areas, these nine squares of opportunity to cultivate intimacy or deep connection. Right. So that looks like physical Hmm. intimacy with self, 
physical intimacy with other, physical intimacy with the world, and then duplicate that for emotional or energetic. Uh, right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So what that brings up, I mean, the, the sort of premise and, and really what I've come to over the years of doing this work is, first of all, the foundation is this intimate relationship with ourselves, which so many of us miss. So many of us are reaching out, tend to think of intimacy as something that happens with some someone else that's dependent on someone else or something else. Mm -hmm. And really, there's so much more to intimacy. There's so much opportunity. There's so many more dimensions to connection. And we can only meet each other to the extent that we can meet ourselves. Mm -hmm. Right? So that, that foundation of our ability to be intimate with other people, or the world, or you know, Mother Nature, or big swaths of the population that are sort of, you know, suffering, you know, there's an intimacy that we feel with the people in the Ukraine that we previously didn't feel because their suffering is really brought to the forefront and we have this awareness of it. So we have a, uh, there's a level of connection that we didn't previously have. Right. Mm -hmm. So when we talk about what gets in the way of us connecting, if we look at ourselves first, like everything that we want to examine in our relationship, we can first examine within our relationship with ourselves. It's easy for me to define what it is that I'm doing when I don't want to be with myself, right? That I, I don't want to, you know, if intimacy is sort of seeing and being with someone or something exactly as it is, no judgment, mm -hmm. just being there with whatever is happening, whatever's unfolding. There are three things, right? Denial, denial of what's happening, mm -hmm. pretending that there isn't a problem at all. We convince ourselves and and others in our lives that everything is like A-OK, -okay, you know, like. Yeah, that's one of my favorites. That's one of my go tos. My wife yeah. absolutely hates it. Yeah, that, there's, that, everything's fine. There's no problem here. You're you're not on fire. The 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 nobody's bleeding. We have food. Every all the bills are paid. Why are you upset? Right. And you know, that's it's easy to see what that does in relationship, but we do that with ourselves as well. Mm. It's so when we live yeah. in denial of our own emotional pain, it causes a cognitive dissonance. We tell ourselves that what we feel doesn't really exist. Yeah. I, I'm reminded right now of a story where I was managing a band and I was in a, in the, in the, in the, in our truck, we were driving all over the country for like 10 months. And I remember I spent a couple of those months hunched over on my computer while we're in the, in the truck, crisscrossing the country. And I had this massive pain in my neck, but I was just like, ah, I, I ain't got time to pay attention to that. Well, somewhere between Salt Lake and Portland, I woke up one morning in a hotel room and I couldn't get out of bed. My whole body, I was 36 and my whole body had seized up on me. Mm -hmm. It refused to allow me to continue. Mm -hmm. Talk about, talk about the consequence of denial. Yeah. That lesson. Wow. Did that lesson really come home to me? Yeah, that's right. You know, it's like, and it's, it's not just physical pain, but it's also emotional pain. That's a really good, mm -hmm. easy example because it's not complicated you right. know it's a it's a cause and effect but that cause and effect even though it might be a little less trustworthy or a little more mysterious or 
hard to sort of grok mm. when you when you gaslight yourself like mm. it's a, you know mm. i'm okay with this i'm okay with this i'm okay mm. with this well let me tell you mm. i'm i'm with clients on the back end of a few decades mm. of telling themselves that it's okay it's okay and it and it really wasn't okay right and now there's a lot to clean up yeah you know? yeah i mean i think of of Again, I'm a man, so I can intimately relate more to a man's experience than a woman's, but I'm, I'm, you know, men, we live in that story so much that, yeah, look, look, nobody beat me up as a kid that, you know, my, my dad didn't hit me, so I'm fine. Yeah. So right. he was, he was never around. I didn't really know him. He never let us in. He was, you know, drunk all the time or he was just gone at work, but I'm fine. There's yeah. no consequence to that experience in my future as a, or yeah, my dad only beat me a few times or he would only beat me up on Sundays. You know, it's fine. It yeah. toughened, toughened me up. Yeah. Or taking a, a piece of a story and saying, like, I, I've dealt with this aspect of it. But, you know, when I, I was 20 years old and in at University of Pennsylvania as a student undergrad and I was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma, mm -hmm. I went through diagnosis and treatment, which was like, you know, dinosaurs roamed the earth back then. So uh -huh. <laughs> it was the protocol has evolved since then, but I had surgery. They took my spleen out that it was a, a big ordeal. And there was a lot, there was a lot to manage and process and deal with and cope with, right? You can imagine. And I stayed in college and I stayed in my dorm and, um, and I walked to treatment every day and I took a reduced course load and I did all the things and I managed it. And I felt really triumphant, you know, in a lot of ways, um, as I should as a young woman. But there was a whole aspect of like grieving and loss that really I haven't fully even reckoned with to this day. But mm. I started probably about three, four years ago. I had uh, Legionnaire's disease and found myself in the um ICU under threat of intubation and realized that I have a lot of unprocessed trauma from mm. having had Hodgkin's. Like it took all the way now to this other illness, to a similar experience or at least a hospital experience. And I realize that I've processed part of all of that, but the piece of it that's like uncomfortable and not resolvable, mm. I hadn't really touched. Mm. So it can be complex and denial. Yeah. Look, le let me just say that denial and deflection and distraction, the three, the trifecta of mm -hmm. anti-intimacy, those pillars are coping mechanisms. And those coping mechanisms are useful and save us in a lot of instances. We just apply them in ways that don't serve us. Yeah. Well, what's the difference between denial and deflection? Yeah. Deflection is like, you know, I tell a story in the book that where a woman is divorcing because her husband has had an affair with someone at work that he works with who she knows. And she is so angry at the woman that he's his colleague that he's had an affair with. She's not she's not angry at him. She's angry mm. at her. Mm. Because in the shell of a nut, it's much easier for her to be angry at the woman than it is mm. at her husband, right? She can blame the woman and preserve her mm. marriage and her relationship with her right. husband. Yeah. So that deflection takes a lot of different things. You know, uh, my husband, Andrew, you know, Andrew, he 
he, you know, he says it's never about the dishes. So we're arguing about the dishes instead of arguing about what's really happening. I remember in my, in my, when I was married to a French woman in my mid twenties, a very ill-fated uh, choice I had made. <laughs> and I remember she, we stopped having sex very quickly. She, after we got married, we didn't know each other long, but I remember I was very frustrated. I'm, you know, I'm 27 and I'm married. She's 27. Why aren't we having sex? She just, she just lost interest really fast. And I remember after a few months, I was so frustrated. I remember you know, one time asking her about it, like, why don't you ever want to have sex with me? And she started thinking, well, I don't know, maybe it's the weather. Maybe it's, you know, it's cold outside, then it's hot, or I'm just, I don't know, I'm busy at work or this. I remember just, there was just all of these weird excuses, weird things that she was speaking to. And, and I look, I had no language or skills to lean into what was going on to really hold us in the fire of that question and conversation. I took no responsibility. I mean, there was just a lot, lot off about our dynamic, but I'll never forget that. Is that deflection? Like, like not leaning into what's happening between us, what's off. There could be aspects of, den of denial in there. There could uh -huh. be aspects of deflection and there could be aspects of distraction as well. Mm. Right. I, I don't, I don't really know without doing like a, a sort of a demo coaching session. <laughs> right, right, right. But, you know, deflection also is part of when we, when we blame Mm -hmm. Others, when we don't take responsibility ourselves, like, mm -hmm. you know, when we're unwilling to take responsibility for mm -hmm. our own experience and we direct that pain at someone or something else, mm -hmm. right? It's mm -hmm. like, that's a deflection. It's like, oh, no, not yeah. me, you know? Yeah. Our, our original emotion often gets distorted past recognition, you know, because we're... Yeah. And that, and that makes it really hard to track what's actually happening. Yeah. My, I think my wife will often, when I'm expressing some kind of frustration, she'll often ask me, Brian, what's the feeling underneath that? Mm -hmm. And it's, that's a real hard, sometimes it's a hard question for me to answer. It's not just hard. Sometimes Zoe, I don't want to answer it. Yeah. Right. I don't want, I don't want to, I don't want to talk about the feeling underneath it. I just want to be in the story of what's pissing me off or what's upsetting me. Right. And if you, you know, the thing is, is that if you're really, really mining for gold with every upset or frustration or anger at something outside of yourself, you can track it right back to where inside yourself you're, yeah. you're in discord. Yeah. I mean, it's always the question when she asks me that, I think it's always the right question you know, what's the feeling underneath it? Cause that, because, and I say the right question, cause it is the question that ultimately helps her connect with me. Does it also help you even though you're resistant at first? It's, it's to, if I'm going, yes, definitely. Absolutely. And talk about an old wound. There it is. Nobody comforted me as a child. Nobody ever comforted me. Nobody ever checked in on how I was feeling about anything. I, look, I was being bullied at school. My dad was away for years and there was alcoholism in my home and, and, and rage in my home. There was all this shit going on and nobody ever checked in to see how I was feeling. So, you know, now I'm going to just let someone comfort me. No, you know, all, all my old, I, I don't need comfort. That's the shell that I've put on, but it's right. really lonely there. Right. Well, and there's your denial, you know, there's your denial uh, as a, as a coping mechanism and a survival mechanism, because you need right. to live in a certain degree of denial or you won't be able to function. That's right. Like yeah. that's a, that's actually was yeah. a, was a superpower until it's not. 
Yeah. Well, that's, that is interesting. It is because I felt alone as a child. Yeah. Putting up that wall of denial helped me not have to feel so alone. Right. I mean, the sad, the tragedy of it is it just masks up an aloneness that doesn't go away just for the coping mechanism. That's right. And that's why we need to like, you know, read our books and do our, and, and, you know, and all of us are sort of hungry to understand whether it's attachment theory or, you know, all the, all the different ways that our upbringing really influenced us and how to come more into choice. So if a, if a, if a man or, or woman is listening to this and they're thinking, okay, wow, well, I definitely do a lot of denial. I'm in denial of a lot of things and I deflect. And I mean, distraction is pretty self-explanatory, maybe not, but you know. It, it is totally. I just, what's worth um, mentioning about distraction is that distraction can be productive and helpful right. in, you know, it helps us and, you know, doing a lot of trauma work and there is something to containment, you know, to being able to contain your trauma or your, your reaction to the trauma and be able to put it aside mm -hmm. to integrate, you know, mm -hmm. integrate and, and to, to have relief from the trauma response. So distraction can be a really mm. productive and healing thing mm. if it's if it's done with intention. Right. Versus maybe numbing out. Right. And never getting to never getting mm -hmm. to the place where we can process something. Great. So so how does this then cause what you say anti-intimacy? Because if we are going to relate to ourselves and to each other in a way that is really accepting what is, really being with someone or something exactly as it is, if we're not willing to see it exactly as it is, if we're in denial of it or we're deflecting because we don't want to be with it because it's so damn uncomfortable, then we're never really able to show ourselves authentically, mm -hmm. vulnerably to another or, or to ourselves. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's not fun to sit and realize you're all by yourself. You're in conversation with yourself and you realize that you've been a total selfish shit in some situation that you're dealing with. And you have to kind of go, woof. Yeah. Is, is this what we're talking about when, you know, when, when men hear, uh, either I don't feel connected to you or, or you don't let me in. Yeah. Right. Yes. It, it's exactly what we're talking about. Exactly. And, and I hear from women very often, you know, I'm, I'm a sex and intimacy coach, so I deal with all this intimacy and, and, and couples who are sort of, um, trying to heal their sexual relationship. And I hear often that he, you know, my partner from, from women and men, actually, my partner is denying that they feel this way or they're, or they're not opening up. And therefore, like, I don't feel safe. Yeah. I don't feel safe in the relationship and I don't feel safe to mm -hmm. like open up sexually because mm -hmm. I feel like there's a big wall there. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm the scenario of the man being asked by his partner, are you angry? And him saying, I'm not angry through gritted teeth. He's clearly angry or maybe simmering with anger that he himself won't allow himself to feel because I think, I think anger is both a, I think anger is a go-to emotion for men, but it's also an incredibly unsafe emotion for men for various reasons. 
Yeah. I think, you know, we men have a very complicated relationship with our, with our anger. Yeah. And what I'm hearing you say is when a, when a woman can sense, right, we're, we're having some feelings, something's happening for us, but we are in denial of it or we're deflecting or we're distracting ourselves. We're just not dealing with it. We're not facing it. That causes a lack of safety even. Mm-hmm. Now, why specifically safety? How does that cause a lack of safety? Because safety, at least, you know, sexually, safety is built on a sense that your partner is there with you and that you can uh, and that they're sort of unflappable, mm. right? That that you can show up exactly as you are, right? And in the world of of sexuality and women's sexuality, that means I can, I don't have to look like a supermodel. I'm a few pounds overweight. I didn't get my pubic hair waxed. I, you know, I'm, I'm, my labia looks like whatever it looks like. I'm, you know, I don't have to have an orgasm. I can just be real and be authentic and be completely accepted for who I am and what I'm doing. If, if we can't sense, if we sense that a partner is not honest with themselves or honest with us, honest and authentic in their feelings and able to handle all of that, then there's a, there's a sense of danger that we will be criticized, not accepted, mm. Mm. used, re- rejected, used all of it, mm-hmm. you know? So like he's, he's with his fantasy or he's with his, whatever he's thinking, his own needs, his own fantasy rather than actually with her. Yeah. And, but even if he is there with her, there's an, there's an aspect of, look, we all want a partner to be able, like every woman wants, here I go. Say it, say it, let's hear it. (laughs) We need to hear it. (laughs) Every woman wants her partner to say, your, your orgasm is important to me. Your pleasure is important to me, but it's okay if you don't have an orgasm. Like, it's okay. I just mm-hmm. want you to feel good. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. There are so, and there are all kinds of versions of that in, in the sexual arena. Mm-hmm. What is so often the case is that our pleasure, our orgasm is so important to the partner, the male partner that we're with, and it's and his ego and his self-esteem is all wrapped up in that, that our pleasure isn't even for us. It's yeah. for him. Mm. And he is unaware of that. If he mm. lives in denial of what's really happening with him, you know, uh, uh, somebody who, uh, a man who isn't in denial, who isn't deflecting, who isn't distracted, who is really meeting himself and intimate with himself and aware as a certain level of self-awareness, he's able to say like, boy, I, I hate when you don't have an orgasm. Like, I hate that. Like I, 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 you know, I feel like I haven't measured up, but Mm -hmm. I know that's my trip. Mm -hmm. And I, most of all, what's most important to me is not how I feel. It's how you feel about your sexual experience. So it's a it's a beautiful revealing of what's true for him. Mm-hmm. I think I think a lot of men get caught up in the in the in the polarity of of I either have to be completely honest, which is going to turn me into an asshole because I'm going right. to say things that are probably pretty shitty, or she won't want to hear, or I have to just shut up and 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 say all the right things, but in the process, totally sell myself out. Yeah. 
And what I love about what you just shared is like, I can be courageously vulnerable, even if it's not, if it's not what I think is the right answer. Like, like I, it is frustrating. It is hard for me when you don't have an orgasm specifically in this example we're talking about. And, and that's my trip. I, are you, are you enjoying yourself all the same? Did you, was, is this pleasurable? If not, well, how can we, what, what, what would be more pleasurable kind of explore from that? It's like holding space for both experiences. Right. Look, it comes down to honest, kind communication, mm-hmm. owning your own shit, owning, knowing yourself well enough, knowing yourself well enough to know what's yours and what somebody else's. Yeah. We get these boundaries. I mean, I'm talking to Mr. Boundary here, mm-hmm. but we, you know, we like we collapse all these boundaries and then nobody knows whose feelings are what mm-hmm. or or who has a right to what or who deserves what and you know the the fact is is that if we're just present to ourselves to each other we're respectful we honor ourselves and each other and we're just with whatever is real you know one of the things we we talked about exploring and i think this is particularly relevant to long-term relationships where they've been doing sexuality a particular way which is probably one-sided or at least not not on the same page with each other for a long time and then now they're starting to let's say let's just take a couple they've been together 15 years and sexually things are now they're 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 off they're not they're not good maybe they were never really that good or they weren't at least not good for the last 5 10 years because they weren't talking about the things they need to talk about and now they're in a conversation it's kind of a shit show <laughs> because they don't know how to unwind the last 10 years of in some way, you know, hurting each other or right. bo- both feeling rejected. There's, there's a pattern that you, you talked about three kinds of intimacy, right? You, uh, physical, energetic, and emotional. Yeah. I, but I think, th- I think where I'm heading at with this is that that dynamic of, of two partners coming at intimacy, so to speak, from different perspectives. Can you speak to that? Yeah. Yes. Um, I think what you're getting at is what I observe a lot. I have a lot of couples that come to me um, with what what we call desire discrepancy, where one partner wants sex more than the other. And there are a lot of different reasons why that might happen, right? Mm-hmm. It might be foundationally from the beginning of their relationship. It might be sort of conditional based on where they are and their sort of life path. Mm-hmm. But there's often, it, I mean, if you think about it, the idea that two partners partners spend a lifetime together and always want the same amount of sex. That's like, yeah, that doesn't happen. So every, every couple navigates some degree of desire discrepancy at some point in their partnership. And so, yeah, one thing that I take great joy and it's always such an aha moment for these couples, they're often at an impasse. Um, Many couples, not all, there there are other sort of manifestations of desire discrepancy. So if this doesn't resonate with you, if you're listening, um, there are other other sort of buckets that that people fall into. But one very common is that one partner, often the woman, not not nearly all the women feel like they don't want to open up physically unless there's a strong emotional intimacy, an emotional connection. They want that deep emotional connection. And then they feel open to connecting physically. The other partner, often the male, not always, doesn't feel safe enough to open up emotionally, to be emotionally vulnerable unless there's a physical connection. So one partner 
wants to have sex to connect and the other one wants to connect to have sex. And they are like, you know, they're at an impasse because they they're they're coming, as you said, from two different directions. They have different needs. What they get out of a sexual encounter is different. And so what I do is are two things. One is just that. I have them really identify why is it that you want to have sex? What do you get out of having sex? And I'll tell you something for the person who's physically oriented, whether it's a man or a woman, it's very, very hard for them to articulate what it is. Uh, yeah. You know, because it's not emotional. It's a physical release. So then in their articulating what they get out of sex, it doesn't sound connective and it doesn't sound relational and it doesn't sound, uh, it sounds a little, it can sound a little bit dehumanizing. Uh-huh. Right? Yeah, like yeah. it's, and and often when it's the man, it feels, the 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 woman partner starts to feel objectified. Mm-hmm. But if we start to really pull it apart and really help find words for what a physical intimacy type gets from connecting, it's it, it, from sex, it's very yeah. connective. So, okay, say more. I mean, w- w- what are some of the answers you get first? What are some well, of the things they might say? Some, some of the first things I get are, I don't know, I just have a need. I just have a need. Uh, like I, I have a drive. I just want to like, right. I just want to have sex. Is it just about the pleasure? Well, it's about the pleasure, but it's also about, you know, like it's about, you know, connecting with my partner. Okay, good. Connecting. How does that, you know, I, I imagine- how do you feel connected? Well, I imagine because I've heard this from men also just, well, I'm a man. I mean, this is what I is what I was what my body's programmed to do. I'm supposed to fuck. Yeah. You know, I'm blah, 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 and on and on and on. And but I, I really get the the inability to articulate what what's really happening for you. So, OK, so go on. So. So, so then we'll talk about what I do is I take them to the moment like just before and just after their orgasm and how they feel and how they feel. What's the feeling sense? We work a lot with, you know, like somatic experiencing or or sensory motor mm-hmm. sort of language. Like what exactly are you feeling in your body and where is your partner during this and how are you? We, we, so right before and during and after orgasm, what's happening? Where's the vulnerability? Mm. How in those moments, how do you feel connected and what Mm. do you, what are you getting from that experience and where is your partner in all this and how is your feel, what do you feel towards your partner? It's always very uh, revelatory for, for the emotional partner as well. Yeah. You know, the emotional intimacy type partner who is wanting so much to, to, and doesn't really get that because it's not being articulated. Uh, and so what do you typically find then? What is the feeling right before, during and after? What does that trajectory tend to look like? Yeah, it, it's it's um, it's a a degree of this is where I bring in the aspect of energetic intimacy a lot. It's it's sort of I think that both I think that energetic intimacy is really like a common ground. Mm-hmm. for for people who are emotionally oriented and physically oriented. And so at that moment of orgasm, what what sometimes the language is different, but we get to a point where each partner is experiencing the same thing before, during, and right after orgasm, which mm-hmm. is very much has to do with your nervous system, 
And I'm sure we can trace it back to dopamine and, 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 Mm -hmm. you know, endorphins and oxytocin and all of the sort of neurotransmitters, but it's a, it's a similar experience of, of no story, pure connection, almost like a moment of truth. Mm. Like Mm -hmm. everything goes away and we're just together. And for people who are sort of on a spiritual path, there there can be an aspect of like, we're connected with the mm. universe or mm-hmm. we're, we're like, we're in this sort of formless, it's almost like an altered state of consciousness. Well, uh, yeah. Well, I think even a lot of men that don't use that language or see through the, that, that, that frame would also can relate to, even with a woman they've just met in the lead up to orgasm, like they're so in love with this woman. Right so in love with this woman. And, and I think, you know, if, if men have had multiple partners, if they've had partners, they're not really genuinely in love with, they will, they'll cop to, ha- so to speak, ha- to have having had the experience of the moment they have an orgasm, they're no longer in love with this person. Right. They're like, why am I even here? They want to leave as quickly as possible. Right. Well, but those ha- are, those are the, those are the, that's the trifecta of anti-intimacy creeping back in. Uh, oh my God, she's going to call me. And what did I get myself into? Uh, and how am uh-huh. I going to let her down and uh-huh. all of that? Whereas if you, if you go in and you, you know, you know, we, I mean, we could, I wrote an article about how to rock a one night stand. And there's a lot of like, if you go in with intention and you go in with honesty and you go in with like good communication and you can mm-hmm. kind of ride that mm-hmm. whole arc of like, mm-hmm. oh, wow. Oh, and I feel like so much love and bliss and and realize that this isn't about relationship. You're experiencing something that is, you know, it's, it's, it has everything to do with what's happening in your body. In the moment. Yeah. And it's okay. Right. You know, it's okay to feel that connectedness and that bliss and that love, you know, and, and love is, I mean, that's another thing This the way we use the word love and we throw that around and we have very specific right. rules about it. And, Well, like we can, we can, it's okay to, to create depth with someone in a moment without needing it to also mean we're going to build a life together. Right. Exactly. I I mean, Brian, you know, you met me at a time in my life when I was very free. I was blissfully single. I was very free. I had a lot of experiences and I will tell you that I had some of the most intimate sex that I've ever had have been with people that I didn't know. Yeah. The bartender at Primitivo. Uh-huh. <laughs> if you yeah. happen to be listening. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it was amazing. Yeah. Good job. Amazing. Good man. And it's all, and it's all <laughs> I you know, I mean, maybe it's just maybe it's it's me that was good. <laughs> you know? Fair play. Fair play. So what, but how about how that shows up then, even in a long-term committed relationship when a man has a similar letdown? Like again, we're talking in yes. that context. He still has that letdown. He's so in love with his wife or his partner and orgasm. There's still the letdown. I know a lot of like aftercare. And my, my wife, she, we, we talk about it, the importance of aftercare. Yeah. In, yeah. in sex, even in long-term relationship. Yeah. I, I, so here's the deal. 
um, there are things that you can do to cultivate all three kinds of, of intimacy in a long-term relationship. And when you practice both in bed and out of bed, all the different ways stoke all three avenues. I'm going to talk about energetic intimacy in, in a moment as a, a neutral ground. But when you connect physically, you connect emotionally and you connect energetically and, and with intention, have practices together and individually that sort of create those, that sort of a dimensional intimacy in your partnership overall, then you will be able to more skillfully navigate this sort of like natural flow of connectedness, love, euphoria, frustration, attraction, disgust, <laughs> yeah, like all the all of those sort of dimensions, because you have a sort of a tapestry, you know, you've mm -hmm. woven a tapestry of connection. How would you begin to help a couple who's at that impasse? Yeah. So, you know, energetic intimacy is something that is like, I mean, basically, it's sort of like presence. And and what I say is that if you want to cultivate energetic intimacy with yourself or someone else, it's presence, humility, and curiosity. Those are sort of the, the three uh, pillars of energetic intimacy. Mm. And, um, and, and so what that means is we've all had a moment where we have felt connected to someone and it doesn't involve touch or emotions or, yeah. or, or conversation about emotions where we're like, I mean, we can have a moment of energetic intimacy with the barista at the coffee house, mm -hmm. you know, meet, yep. meet them eye to eye, you know, acknowledge like you're having a hard day and you're rushed and I'm grateful for my coffee. You can say all that with a look or a gesture. Yeah. Energetic intimacy, a great example of energetic intimacy with the world or with like a group of people is when we go to a rock concert, like how many times have we had that, that moment of like being in an arena and singing along and looking at everybody and everybody's having this like, like heart opening experience in tandem, you know, that's like an energetic intimacy with this crowd with 20,000 people, you know? Mm. So what I say to couples is, look, you can do a check-in every day. How are you feeling? You know, where yeah. do you feel that in your body? Yeah. Is there any, is there anything that I can do to support you? You know, today or you can hug you can do like a you know a 30 second three breaths in tandem kind of a hug or there are many physical practices to do yeah. where where you get that cook dinner together without talking share an experience take a walk in nature and don't talk about what happened at work or paying the bills or the vacation coming up or None of that. Just be present in that moment, sharing an experience, right? You see a pine cone that's rocking your world that you think just must have like dropped out of heaven. Pick it up and hold it and hand it to your partner. You know, mm -hmm. don't don't necessarily have to intellectualize and like make everything mean something. Right. Right. Or or endlessly process. Yeah. What may or may not be happening. Or I, I love that that so so creating energetic intimacy really, which means being grounded in a sense in the moment, what's happening mm -hmm. right now and bringing presence. You said presence, humility, and, and curiosity. Curiosity. I really love that. Um, as a bridge 
potentially between physical intimacy and emotional intimacy. Yeah, that's right. And it it's interesting because it is it is a bridge and when you are when you become somewhat well practiced at delineating, it takes some some practice, you know, it takes some thought and some trial and error and just some sort of like observation of of ourselves. And and I'll I'll share with you a, a coffee ritual I have in the morning that really is a good example of this. But one of the things that starts to happen is in being present and humble and curious, right? So so I'm like, I'm cultivating a moment of energetic intimacy. What happens is that I start to use the vehicle of my five senses to connect with what's happening right now. Hmm. And that those senses are also the basis of, uh, of, of a moment of physical intimacy. Hmm. Right. So so we're sort of like there's a, a sort of gray area where I'm playing around with the the sort of energetic intimacy of this moment mm-hmm. and the physical intimacy of this moment. Mm-hmm. And then invariably what happens is emotions are stirred. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Like I could be sitting with with my husband on a on a bench down at the beach watching the sunset and and it's just like uh, it's awe inspiring right mm-hmm. like it's mm-hmm. that feeling of like whoa wow you know total humility curiosity and and presence in this yeah. moment right yeah. and then and then i reach out and we're holding each other's hands and then there's yeah. that feeling of like oh yes and then it's like wow, I'm really moved. Like my emotions are starting to rise. Like I'm so grateful and wow, you know, this, this moment. And then it's a little bit of like an emotional thing. And it's sort of, when you bring that into the bedroom. Yeah. Whoa. Fireworks. Yeah. It's like, wow, just a a really can, can be a really powerful experience of sex. Well, I'm aware too, how at the beginning of relationships, we're often naturally bringing presence. I want to be here. I'm fascinated. Who are you? I feel good around you. I'm, I'm, I'm paying attention to you. I'm focusing on you. Presence. And curiosity. And that's that, curiosity that you described. Yes. All, and curiosity. Yeah. Who are you? What, what, what interests you? What, what can I do to, to bring you pleasure, to make you smile? Right. Now, humility, you know, that may or may not be present. <laughs> I think in a <laughs> healthy dynamic, it's, it's more present than it isn't present, but there's a, there's a willingness to again, be influenced to, to not know where this is necessarily going to be right. in dialogue, right? There's a, there's a, a, hum, a humble approach to the, to the experience. And, and yeah, it's we're we're, we're excited to be there. It feels good. We feel connected. Yeah. And I wonder if, you know, presence, particularly presence and curiosity are, are the first to go in, in long-term relationships. I think, you know, speaking for men, I think, I think that happens to a lot of men Well, we stop being curious pretty fast Yeah. and, and our, and our presence gets taken away really fast. You know, I got, okay, we're good. We're secure. Okay, great. Now I'm going to go solve all these other problems I have in my life. I'm going to go back to my mission. I got to refocus on work or whatever it is. And and you already weren't humble, so. And we already were arrogant <laughs> sons of bitches. <laughs> exactly. That's why I didn't even touch that one. That's uh, <laughs> Who among us are really that humble? Let's be honest. Few. few. <laughs> um, Zoe, uh, last question. Yeah. For you. What do you think men really need to know? What's the what's the like the core nugget that men need to know or learn 
to to create a truly fulfilling intimate relationship. I could have anticipated you would ask me this. You know, Brian, I think you you said it. And and this goes for women too. It it does. Like there's definitely a, a, a version of this for women. But if we're talking specifically to men, I would say that this this idea of curiosity and novelty and finding something new and exciting about your partner. When you're in year two, three, 20, mm. there's always something new to learn mm. about somebody. There really is. And I tell this to couples all the time, like you need to create a space for your partner to step into. Like you, you can't shut them down and create a false dichotomy. This person isn't who I wish they were. Mm. Create a space for for who you wish they were to to evolve into and also be willing to have discuss to discover something that you didn't even know you wanted mm. you know mm-hmm. yeah beautiful thank you last last my little lightning round you know all podcasters these days you gotta have a lightning round if you have a podcast <laughs> it's a it's an unwritten rule um your five core emotional triggers I want to just get to know the human of you a bit more and help our listeners also as well uh, know you a bit more on that level. And it's a simple question. Five core emotional triggers. Number one, what makes you mad, Zoe? Um, People not owning their shit, taking responsibility for themselves. Mm. Yeah. Makes me mad too. I'm with you. What makes you feel sad? The suffering of women and children and animals and and men as well. I think just Mm. witnessing suffering is so hard. Mm, Thank you. What causes you to feel joy? My children. Mm. I have a 25 year old daughter and a, and a 15 year old son and more joy than I could ever have imagined was humanly possible by, by being with them and observing them and talking to them and loving them and being loved by them. Yeah. Please do tell your kids I miss them. I I I will. Ollie's turned into a man. I mean, Oh my goodness. My, my, my gosh. And your daughter is, Rachel's getting, she's headed to Antarctica to spend yeah. three months. Yes. Doing some scientific research shit. Yes. Wow. Yes. Incredible. Bi- bioecology and saving the planet and climate Incredible. control and adaptation and all kinds of stuff. Incredible. <laughs> okay. Number four, what causes you to feel fear? A second term of the, that he who shall not be named. Uh, yeah. <laughs> my my um, mom won't say his name either. Yeah. Well, I, I think I think fear for me is that we will destroy the planet and each other before we have a chance to figure out how to be with each other. Yeah. You know, I, I do. I heard an astrophysicist um, postulate once that the the reason perhaps the reason that we haven't found so-called intelligent life anywhere in the universe even till now we have the instruments like we should have detected something. The reason it seems we're so vastly alone is because it could be that life just has, has it built into its program that we, we accumulate intelligence before we gain wisdom. And in our intelligence, we, 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 we learn how to destroy ourselves before we gain the wisdom not to. Yeah. So I feel you on that. Yeah, very much. That's four. We got one more and you know, we haven't destroyed ourselves yet. So let's ask the last question. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> There's still time. How much? We don't know how much, but could be any minute now. <laughs> the great blackout's coming, I think, but we still got internet and electricity. So uh, number five, 
what causes you, and this is you, 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 uh, your dealer's choice on which one of these you answer, but what causes you to feel shame or embarrassment or just makes you want to hide from the world? Why, that's a hard question. <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah. I, you know, I think the only time, oh, way to make me vulnerable, Brian. I think that the thing for me, the only time I really feel like hiding from the world is when I have overextended myself or I feel like I've said something really controversial mm. or something mm. that that hasn't landed. Like mm. I, actually the controversy, when I get a lot of rise out of out of people, I'm good because I feel like I've 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 done my job in in nudging people and pushing buttons like they're awake. And I feel like in a lot of ways, my purpose here is to make people feel things, you know, to just make people feel that's yeah. kind of my mission. So mm. what makes me want to hide is when I've been out there and I and it's crickets and I feel insignificant or mm. unseen or like I'm doing a bad job or mm. Like I'm, I'm a bit invisible and then I feel mm. embarrassed and then mm. I feel a little bit ashamed and then I want to get into my bed and pull the covers Aww. over my head. <laughs> Aww, little Zoe, well, thank, <laughs> thank you for inviting us in yeah. to your reality. Thank you, Zoe. <laughs> well, Zoe, thank you so much again for, for saying yes to this. Uh, you have so much wisdom and insight to share. And, and I, I know that there are some men and surely some women, we have a lot of women listeners as well that are going to get a lot out of this and, and it's going to bring up just a lot more questions. And so how can people learn more about you, find you, potentially work with you? The the hub of all things is zoecores.com. And you can, I have like a season one of a podcast up. I have, you can buy my book through there. You can read about coaching. I have a Substack newsletter that is, you know, like a monthly drop, which is basically pleasure-based sex education that you wish you had gotten mm. and never did. And uh, yeah. I think that's it, right? Instagram is at Zoe Kors. Great. And uh, that'll all be in the show notes at brianreeves.com slash men this way as well. Zoe, I love you so much. I miss you so much. Uh, we'll catch up over the holidays. But thank you again for coming on Men This Way. You're a, you're a, you've been a gift to my life. And it's a, it's it truly is a pleasure for me to get to share you with my audience as well. Thank you so much, Brian. I love you so much. and um, And thank you to your audience for listening along. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you again to my dear friend, Zoe Coors. You can find Zoe at www.zoecoors.com. Of course, that link and any other resources will be in the show notes at brianreeves.com slash podcast. And remember, if you'd like to experience empowering transformational coaching with me to help elevate your intimate relationship experiences or just elevate your life in some meaningful way, go to brianreeves.com slash elevate or go to brianreeves.com slash EYR. That's for my Elevate Your Relationship programs. brianreeves.com slash elevate or brianreeves.com slash EYR. And just fill out the application on either of those pages to get started on your coaching journey with me. Lastly, again, please go write a review of this podcast right now on your podcast app. If you've been listening to this podcast more than a few times, you've heard me ask that more than a few times, knock that out, please. Doing so helps me immensely. It helps the show immensely, and it helps other people realize 
This is a trustable space. I deeply appreciate it. Thank you. And don't forget to subscribe yourself while you're at it. I'm your thriving life and relationship coach, Brian Reeves. Brian with a Y, Reeves. Until soon, keep your head up, your breath relaxed, and your thoughts inspired.